For those hoping that inflation was peaking anywhere in the world, then Friday didn't bring good news with the PC numbers in the US rising, Europe's CPI rising too, wages on the up as well, whilst manufacturing from China has slowed. We are not out of the woods yet, with former US Secretary Treasury Larry Summers saying on Friday that the Fed hasn't reached a neutral rate yet, and the fact that Jerome Powell has said so is just wishful thinking. So is there too much wishful thinking around, and should central bankers and equity investors let's be honest, think a bit more about their expectations for getting inflation under control in a timely manner. It is Monday, the 1st of August, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, U.S. equities continued their optimistic rise on Friday. We had a 1.9% rise in the Nasdaq, 1.4% for the S&P 500, 1% for the Dow. Uh, Europe also imbued with confidence, with uh, 1.5% added to the DAX and the Eurostoxx 50, and 1.1% for the FTSE 100. A different story for China, with the CSI index, uh, 300 index down 1.3%, the Hang Seng losing 2.3% on Friday. And bond yields uh, falling slightly towards the end of last week. Ten-year treasuries down three basis points, down 11 over the week. Small moves down in Europe, except Italy, that fell 16 basis points for ten-year yields. And Australia down 15 basis points on ten-year yields as well, down to 3.05% on Friday. The US dollar lost 0.4% on the DXY, uh, down 0.8% over the week. Even against that weaker US dollar, the Aussie was down slightly to 69.9 US cents, but up 0.8% over the week. The big moves have been on the Japanese yen. Uh, The US dollar lost three quarters of 1% against the yen on Friday and 2.1% over the week last week. And the euro was up a quarter percent, but uh, no moves Either way, if you look at it over the whole week. And oil rising sharply at the end of the week, an extra 2.3% on WTI and 2.1% for Brent, pushing it to almost $104. It's back on the rise. So it's a a busy week ahead, particularly locally, of course. We've got the RBA tomorrow, then the Bank of England later in the week, non-farm payrolls in the US to round off the week as well. And we've got US manufacturing ISM today as well. But let's start with uh, the inflation numbers, because there's a lot of them on Friday, uh, and they weren't particularly encouraging news. Here's Taylor Nugent from uh, NAB in Melbourne. Uh, Inflation clearly not letting up just yet, Taylor, in the US. The core PCE price index was at 4.8% in June, year on year, 0.6% month on month. That is quite a move up on May's numbers, isn't it? So, uh, you know, anyone who was hoping that maybe things were peaking, inflation was peaking, will have been sorely disappointed at the end of last week. Yes, good morning, Phil. That's right. Those PCE numbers on Friday certainly doing doing nothing to suggest that um, those that inflationary backdrop that the Fed is is fighting is easing. Of course, we got um, you know most of the, the the strength in those numbers was already revealed in those earlier CPI numbers, but certainly that core number coming in um, a touch above um, the 0.5 consensus in in the month and, and consistent with. You know those um, broad-based inflationary pressures. Interesting as well. Other um, alternative measures of um, of core inflation on on the Fed's preferred PCE measure, um, such as the Dallas Fed's Dallas Fed's trim mean measure, and also um, median PCE inflation. Also, both accelerated quite sharply. Um, in June as well, so certainly underscoring um, those inflationary pressures there. So, how much of this is uh, is employment costs going up? Because that is the big fear, isn't it? That if that you know that's where it can all get out of control. If you start seeing an employment cost spiral, because the uh, the employment cost index rose one point three percent in Q two, 
which is actually it is down on on Q1, but you know it's it's we're still seeing this big growth in wages. Yeah, yeah, that that employment cost index is certainly um, closely watched by by policymakers as kind of the cleanest read on on wages, inflation, um, and and wages growth. Um, and and probably a, a fairly disappointing result for for the outlook for inflation certainly, um, given that those average hourly earnings numbers that are more timely were suggesting some deceleration in wages growth in the US over the last few months. Um, but the detail of the employment cost index not really showing uh, much much relief um, on that on that wages growth backdrop and certainly suggesting that the labor market, the extremely tight labor market, as, as Powell called it on Wednesday, is still generating wages growth that's that's high enough to sustain too high inflation and, and keep the pressure on the Fed. Um, one other number I'll highlight out of um, that ACI release was the, the private sector wages and salaries number um, accelerated to 1.6% quarter on quarter and 5.7% year on year. So that that private sector read, which is more responsive to the labor market, certainly running very hot. If you if you look if you go looking for, for a glimmer of hope, um, um, an economist, uh, Jason Furman, did point out that, you know, digging even more into that, that so those kind of subcomponents of that release that are most sensitive to the domestic labour market conditions, the private sector series, excluding incentive um, payments, did decelerate a little bit in the quarter to a still high 1.3%. So there's, there's some glimmer of hope there, and that's kind of an underlying measure that policymakers pay close attention to. But you would have wanted a, a more compelling signal to, to um, be comfortable that the the labour market isn't isn't still too tight um, in terms of generating um, a wages growth backdrop that's going to sustain too high inflation. And how much attention is paid to the Michigan consumer inflation expectations? Because that moved down ever so slightly. So is that a glimmer of hope? So next year, I mean, consumers are expecting inflation to ease to 5.2%. You know, last month they're expecting next year it's going to be five point three percent. So slightly, you know, it's not changing the world. It's still pretty high, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And probably the more important in, um, inflation expectations number out of that um, out of that Michigan survey is that five to ten year number, with so much emphasis placed on whether those longer term inflation expectations do remain anchored. Um, and the final print we got on on Friday, I have no no cause for alarm there. Just kind of business as usual within the recent ranges, coming in at two point nine percent, up a, a tick from two point eight in the in the preliminary read. Right, but I mean that's still above the Fed's target, right? Isn't it? In five years' time. Uh, yes, yes, but it's it's kind of within the historical ranges that have been consistent with the with the target um, in the past, and certainly not not moving higher. Certainly the. The um, the response to um, the a, a preliminary read that jumped up to to three point three before being revised down is kind of why the the focus is on that number and certainly no alarm bells ringing on on Friday from that release. Right, so we're just given a whole load of bad news there about inflation and yet equity markets still supremely confident. You know, even though we've you know had all of that bad news about inflation not easing off just yet, and then companies either downgrading their forward guidance or in some cases refusing to give forecasts. I mean, what is it going to take to take the sale out of the wind for these share investors. I mean, some people are actually saying, well, you know, a lot of it is down to uh, Jerome Powell last year, last week, talking about, you know, the fact that we've reached neutral rate and thinking, ah, oh, thank goodness for that. I've reached the neutral rate. That means they're going to ease off now, which, of course, is, you know, Gavin was very strong on making that point on the podcast last week that that is not the case. You know, Jerome Powell has said that they will not stop until inflation is under control. But do you think there is some confusion over that terminology last week? And that might have uh, 
boosted the markets a little bit. Yeah, certainly um, the the interpretation of of the Fed um, seems to be one thing, one factor playing in. Um, equities are also weathering the the earnings season fairly well, with um, most most companies coming in and, and beating expectations so far. And on on Friday, we had some um, some strong results from from oil companies. Um, Chevron and ExxonMobil posted strong pro- profits, and also Apple and, and Amazon um, beat expectations as well, helping on the day. But certainly, if we look if we look over the week, um, a lot of that strength since um, since the Fed on Wednesday seems to have been alongside those um, those lower yields that we've seen, um, as as on the back of an assessment that um, you know the lion's share of the the Fed's task is done on on inflation, and it will be receptive to to slowing activity data. As you say, certainly certainly um, the the commentary you know looked at as as a whole suggests that the focus still very much on inflation um, and whether whether that's kind of calling it calling it too soon that the Fed doesn't have much further to go in in raising rates remains to be seen. Analytically indefensible is what Larry Summers <laughs> said on Bloomberg. He was quite uh, scathing. He said inflation is, you know, inflation is still rising. Clearly, uh, it's the same kind of, to be blunt, wishful thinking that got us into the problems that we have now with the use of the term transitory. Ouch. Uh, but, you know, he's not alone in that. I mean, there are, you know, more Fed speakers, aren't there, who seem to be saying, look, there is lots more to be done. Yeah, yeah. So that analytically indefensible comment from Summers was with reference to to the neutral rate, citing just how high, um, you know, contemporaneous inflation is um, and suggesting that that means that, you know, we're probably not at, at neutral just yet in his mind. Um, certainly from other other Fed speakers, the message is that there there's more to do. Um, regardless of whether that's framed as you know moving into restrictive territory or or getting to a, a temporarily higher neutral because of elevated inflation, didn't get into the weeds to that extent. But the the Fed's Bostick was the first um, Fed speaker out of the gate saying that you know we really need to address high levels of inflation, citing the the jobs um, growth that we're seeing as well as as evidence that we're not in a recession, um, and saying that he's convinced that the the Fed would need to do more. Um, but did also note that um, how much more will will depend on the data flow. Um, so, you know, some data dependence there, but, um, you know, I guess a useful reminder that being data dependent doesn't necessarily mean less. Um, and, and um, you know, that's an important thing to to keep in mind. Also had some comments from um, Minneapolis Fed's Neil Kashkari in an interview with the NYT, who said that, um, you know, he was surprised by market's interpretation um, and saying that they're, they're still long a long way away um, from being convinced that inflation is well on its way back to 2%. You know, when at the, at the end of radio commercials, sometimes they have somebody who reads all the disclaimers uh, very fast in a hushed, hushed voice. Maybe they need to, you know, every time a Fed speaker does that, they need to say something. Someone needs to come on at the end and say, uh, you know, prices are dependent on data dependence, you know, and add that at the end of uh, every single statement. Uh, I can't do that. That's why I never read radio ads. Uh, look, uh, the story in Europe, also not good, is it? The inflation rate there, more than expected, we found out on Friday, up 4% year on year from 3.7% in June. Uh, the, the top line number is up to 8.9%. And if, you know, if that's not bad enough, uh, growth is going up as well. I mean, that's, you know, that's only going to fuel inflation further, isn't it? Yeah, that, those inflation numbers coming in um, strong in, in Europe as well. And so, you know, energy and, and food, un, um, unsurprisingly, um, driving a lot of that headline number, um, energy inflation up 39.7% year on year and food up close to 10% at 9.8%. But that core number that you mentioned creeping higher as well. Um, but then, yeah, as, as you say, the other um, key number out of out of Europe was that euro area um, GDP growth, which came in above expectations at, at 0.7% quarter on quarter versus 0.1 expected. And so, 
you know, a, a more um, robust recovery. And certainly it looks like for now that that kind of services recovery alongside reopening, winning the day so far against the, the headwinds from the energy crisis. With, but is um, that a good thing you know, or a not- bad thing? You know, we keep on saying, well, bad is good at the moment. And, you know, presumably the other way around. I mean, we want things to slow down to tame inflation, don't we? <laughs> Look, so, yeah, certainly, yes. But I think that, you know, a, a more a more robust recovery on the, of that services side going into the headwinds that Europe, Europe is facing is probably still a, a good thing on balance for my blood at least but um you know it just certainly does mean you know you take these numbers together it means that the the backdrop heading into kind of the slowing that we're this we're seeing at the moment and the headwinds that europe is facing um are, are from a, a slightly better than expected starting point you could say um and the, those inflation pressures are certainly very much still there so keeping the the pressure on the ecb um, to do more markets are still pricing a, a high chance of a 50 basis point hike at the upcoming meeting in September. But then after that, um, only around 50 additional basis points um, of hikes are, are priced mm. in. So tell me about China then, because we had the uh, the manufacturing PMIs, uh, didn't we, over the weekend, falling below 50, actually down to 59, quite a fall from 50.2 in June. So manufacturing is now contracting even as supposedly lockdowns have been easing. I know that, of course, more of, more of them have been flaring up. So how much of this reduction, do you think, is because of that flare-up in, in COVID lockdowns and how much of it is softening global demand? Either way, I mean, it, it doesn't look good. And if, if part of the problem that we've been facing is lack of supplies, then seeing China's manufacturing going down, and of course we'll get the Beijing PMI, which I, I know is a bit more focused on, uh, on exporting uh, manufactured goods, uh, I mean, it's not good if we were actually seeing those that supply chain getting worse again. Yeah, so certainly some um, some disappointing numbers in those official PMIs from China on on Sunday, as you said, manufacturing um, PMI back into contractionary territory at, at forty nine, and um, that services side um, slowing a little bit, but still remaining in in expansion territory as there's kind of more catch up to do from earlier COVID impacts. And I think it's probably a, a bit of a mix between you know softer both domestic and and external demand for for China on that manufacturing side, and then those um, those kind of flare ups of, of COVID as well, certainly um, certainly weighing on the services sector. Um, it also comes um, after news late last week that um, Chinese leaders all, all but acknowledged that that 5.5% growth target that they've been holding on to is, is no longer in play and, and dropping a reference to that target in favor of seeking an economy with it within a, re- a reasonable range and, and emphasizing that the, the approach to COVID will continue. So certainly certainly some, some news there as well that suggests that those the kind of fragility of that recovery amid the COVID policy is, is going to persist for some How time. How long are they going to go with that for? You have to wonder, don't you? At some point, you've either got to change your vaccinations or live with it. But anyway, uh, look, the RBA tomorrow, it's a big, it's a big week for Australia, obviously. Uh, and we get revised forecasts as well, don't we? And the Statement of Monetary Policy on Friday. So tomorrow, uh, the expectation is still for a 50 basis point hike, uh, possibly a bit lower, but also possibly a bit higher. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. So the, the very strong consensus is for 50 basis points from from the RBA tomorrow. Markets had been pricing some risk of a, a 75 basis points ahead of that um, CPI data on Wednesday last week. But with that data coming in kind of broadly in line with with consensus and, and failing to surprise that, um, provide that up upside surprise that markets were clearly looking for that that pricing has come out so we expect 50 basis points we wouldn't be totally close to the risk 
of a, a larger move, given that although that um, inflation number came in, you know, broadly in line with expectations, expectations were for a very strong number. There's evidence of, um, you know, broadening of inflationary pressure into more domestically driven parts of the basket as well, which the RBA will be focused on. And then um, alongside that, we saw the unemployment rate um, drop further and faster than the RBA um, had been thinking thinking it would in the, in the June numbers down to three and a half percent. So all of that means that, you know, that that labour market backdrop will be contributing more to um, to wages growth and, and inflation over their forecast horizon and certainly keeping the pressure on the RBA to keep moving. Um, but yeah, 50 basis points, probably the, the most likely result on, on Tuesday. And then that um, those forecasts will be kind of previewed in the post-meeting statement on Tuesday as well. So you can expect a, a down revision to unemployment rate in, in the near term. And of interest will be whether they're forecasting a, an increasing unemployment rate further out um, and also what those new inflation forecasts are with kind of, you know, every likelihood that they're, they're revised higher, even, even from um, Governor Lowe's upgraded peak of 7% um, quarter on quarter, which he revealed since the since the May forecasts with um, Treasurer Chalmers saying that Treasury is looking for a peak closer to 8% at, at seven and three quarters. So so the risk of a, a higher inflation peak in those forecasts is there as well. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I'm still wondering, well, which would be, you know, all the more reason to move faster, wouldn't it? And I'm still wondering, when, when are they going to even things off? We've still got this clumsy number because uh, 50 basis points would be what 1.85 percent just add another 15 and make it two percent round it off it's much more comfortable for everybody uh, and you know we I, had- I agree phil it's been it's been annoying me as well Six, 65 basis points <laughs> but, would, but now is the chance as well but, now is the chance as well you know, because there's all this uncertainty about you know that those in you know that unemployment is a concern and we have philip lowe saying the path ahead is a narrow one it's cloudy and uncertainty and he must be looking at central banks suffering with rising inflation because supposedly they move too slowly and he must be thinking at some point, you know, we've got to put a, put a bit of a shock in the system to show that we are moving, you know, that, we, that we've got this this thing under control. Yeah, yeah, certainly very laser focused on charting that credible path back to, to at target inflation and then attuned as as other central banks have been to to the risk that longer term inflation expectations um, de-anchor higher and that, and that wages growth picks up to an extent that is unhelpful for the inflation outlook and so you know in that environment continuing to move quickly away from accommodative settings makes sense and then you know whether they opt to do a, a bit more front loading is um is an open question but yeah 50 basis points probably the the most likely move and and you know everything that we've seen from the rba suggests that they're a lot more comfortable than you are about the the slightly odd number on the round on the it off target. phil round it off look uh, that's how that'll do for today look we've got the ism manufacturing for the us as well today that's an important number obviously the unemployment rate for europe the Keijing uh, China PMIs, which we've talked about, and building permits for New Zealand. So it's going to be a fact-filled week, but also, you know, quite a lot going on with central banks as well. And um, we'll cross it all, of course, on the on the morning call. Good to talk, Taylor. Catch you next time. Thanks, Bill. And that's the morning call this Monday morning. It's also the first of August, of course. I'm back tomorrow morning for another edition of the morning call. I'll see you then. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Have a great day.